happy summer. It's hard to believe that the year is almost half done. It's run pretty quick. So, uh, roll call, please. All right. And prior to taking roll, I'll note for the record that Directors Ambiel, Galley, and McCauley are sitting in as alternates for Directors Eltswansi, Lipkin, and Shaw. With that, Director Ambiel. Here. Ambiel present. Director Forbes. Present. Forbes present. Director John Baptiste. Present. John Baptiste present. Director Galley. Present. Galley present. <clears throat> Excuse me, Director McCauley? Present. McCauley present. Director Tumlin? Present. Tumlin present. I understand Vice Chair Mandelman is en route. Uh, and Chair G? Present. Chair G as well. Um, uh, directors, you do have a quorum. Thank you. Let's continue. All right. Uh, directors, item three is communications. And we'd like to note the process for members of the public to make public comment. Members of the public may comment on the meeting during public comment periods in person or remotely. In-person public comment will be taken first. Remote public comment will be taken after. The public comment call-in line is printed on the agenda and dialing instructions should be scrolling at the bottom of the screen on SFGov TV. With that, are there any other communications? Seeing none, I'll call your next item. Please. All right. Item four is Board of Directors new and or old business. And directors, I'm not aware of any. All right, seeing none, uh, uh, item five is the executive director's report. Good morning, directors. Uh, happy beginning of summer. With the uh, nicer weather, we're starting to see an, a continued increase in visitors at the park. Um, we've had a couple of successful events of late with a record high count for our Toddler Tuesday, um, which is one of the more adorable offerings in the park during the week. You see kids face down in our fountain, um, as well as enjoying some of the activities there. Uh, but we had 78 participants this year. Um, and Lunchbox Music and Boot Camp hosted the highest number of attendees since May of 2022. Uh, we had Bollywood Nights last week, um, which uh, drew its second largest crowd ever on Thursday. Um, I was had the opportunity to go to Bangra and Beats, sponsored by OEWD downtown just a few weeks back, and this was a similar level of energy uh, up in our park um, with about 200 people. Um, we invite everyone to come out and enjoy the 620 free programmed events we have in the park every year, and you'll hear more from uh, Facility Director Ari Walsh uh, with the details. In late May, a few weeks back, our, the Transit Center was featured in a long feature coverage on ABC7 on the role of our center the park and the downtown rail extension project to reinvent, reinvigorate the neighborhood uh, back to pre-COVID levels along with providing jobs through the delivery of the project. We're committed to the neighborhood and downtown San Francisco's revitalization and economic recovery. Speaking of the downtown rail extension in the portal, we continue to advance it in the Federal Transit Administration's Capital Investment Grant Program. We completed a three-day risk workshop at the beginning of May with the Federal Transit Administration and their assigned project management oversight consultant last month and expect to receive their collective feedback in the coming weeks, which will inform the request for a rating and a full funding grant agreement we plan to bring to you for your consideration at the August 10th board meeting. You'll hear more from Project Director Alfonso Rodriguez and his look-ahead schedule later in the agenda of the important milestone tasks we'll need to complete by then. Uh, but we hope you're not traveling too far afield in August, as we do have a fairly uh, large agenda that date. Um, we continue to track the status of various funding opportunities, both on the federal and state levels, uh, and, pursue, and to pursue them to ensure our project continues to advance. On the local level, uh, we were happy to host a tour of the center with our district supervisor, Matt Dorsey, uh, so he and his team could see firsthand the train box and park, along with becoming familiar with our role in the community. Tomorrow, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors Budget and Finance Committee will consider an interagency cooperative agreement, allowing us to harness the expertise of city agencies to help deliver the downtown rail extension. 
want to thank the various city boards and commissions that have already approved this item as we work toward Board of Supervisors consideration in July prior to their August recess. Regionally, uh, we're coordinating with the Metropolitan Transportation Commission on two items. One, uh, Regional Measure 3 disbursements plans, which includes $325 million for DTX. Uh, this is an important source of funds for our right-of-way preparation and construction activities, which you'll see reflected in the proposed budget and DTX look-ahead schedule and late, uh, later in today's agenda. Secondly, the rebalancing project for the major advancement projects uh, priority list, along with their TERSIP endorsements expected in the fall, which we hope will result in increased funding endorsement for the project in the near term. On the state level, the legislature and governor are working to pass the state budget by next week per the state's deadline. We continue to track their progress as it relates to overall transportation funding, both for operations um, and for capital projects. Last month, we also hosted the California Transportation Commission when they were in the Bay Area for their May uh, meeting at the MTC, and it was a great opportunity to show the completed center and transit-oriented neighborhood in its existence as a result of the state's transference of the parcels of land uh, to deliver the TransBay program. Finally, on the federal level, we expect the notice of funding opportunity for the next round of mega grants to be released this month. As I previously re reported, we received an in-person debrief with USDOT FTA staff in Washington in March and heard a lot of support for our application, particularly once we have our CIG rating, which we expect this summer, which will inform the FTA's validation of the strength of our overall funding plan. Finally, uh, your quarterly financial reports are included in your packet, and I'd be happy to answer any questions you have before we turn it over to RE for a facilities update. Thank you. <clears throat> questions on the executive direct report or financials? I'm not seeing any hands raised, so I guess we'll go on. And RE, please tell us that the toddlers are all okay. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I am not aware of any toddlers being face down in any fountains. Let me just uh, clarify that, <laughs> unless it was mine. Um, no, no injuries were reported. No injuries reported. No, um, it is a really fun time though. Um, so on that note, I, I do, before I start, I just want to say that I'm feeling really optimistic. I've read a lot of um, things online recently from SFMTA, um, and I will, I will cover here shortly. Really excited about summer and just positive overall, and I think you're going to enjoy a lot of the presentation now and to come. So exciting, at least for me. Um, popular programs, as Director Vandewater had mentioned, uh, Toddler uh, Tuesday and Thursday um, are just always hits. Uh, but what I want to and no pun intended with the hit part. Um, they're always great. And the popular programs that I wanted to highlight here in this presentation is yoga, which is just a, what better setting could you have, uh, and Bollywood Nights. Um, I don't want to focus so much on these events, even though they are fantastic. What I'm trying to focus on here is that they both occurred on Fridays, which over the last couple of years have uh, not had as much traffic as we would hope, and we're just seeing a lot of vibrancy coming back on Fridays and on weekends, which I think we'll see in some uh, ridership data shortly. 
Uh, in honor of AAPI uh, Heritage Month, we had a beautiful performance by the Helen Dance Studio, as you can see here. Uh, Melody of Blooming, which we had uh, several months ago as well. And just, again, I challenge folks to come out to the park and try to not have a good time. The ambiance is great between the little kids and the music and the beautiful uh, dances that we have and, and nods to heritage and to the community. Uh, park attendance over the month of May uh, was pretty solid. We definitely want it to improve. We've hovered around 200 people per uh, program and event during our point in time counts and hitting around 300 uh, sometimes during the month. Over the last two years, we've seen some solid growth, but again, uh, I want to see a lot better growth. And with our um, tourism bouncing back, ridership looking like it's bouncing back, and more activity, we are very focused on providing high-quality uh, programs for all kinds of people to come out and enjoy in the park, and we really want to bolster downtown recovery by simply giving people fun things to do downtown. Uh, performances in June. Uh, look how great. I love this picture, um, I got to say. And uh, we're having a pride celebration on the 17th of June uh, by Bandison Nombre that is local here from the mission. Uh, they're doing a, another rendition of their Un Viaje uh, performance, and they'll be doing another drag show. And if it's half as fun as the last one, uh, we're in for a real treat. Um, also want to do a shout out for Make Music Day, which is a personal favorite on June 21st, and then our Thursday night dance series. Uh, I frankly was trying to list all the different types of dance we have happening on Thursdays, and it was, there was so much that it actually cluttered the slide, uh, which is great. Uh, so I removed them, but there's things like salsa, there's a square dancing. Really, uh, if you, if you want to have fun, again, come on down. Transit ridership, uh, this slide is actually from, from May. I hadn't had a chance to insert the most recent uh, citywide ridership data, but again, I just wanted to highlight the fact that uh, SFMTA has met their uh, fiscal year 22-23 goal of 422,000, and it's about 100,000 more than we were last year. Uh, for citywide ridership, and this is what I was alluding to, this um, great slide that I, uh, I snagged from uh, SFMTA's Instagram, uh, shows 75% increase in weekend, which is very important, right, as we traditionally have seen weekend ridership being uh, pretty low compared to weekday. And what we're actually seeing here is weekend ridership starting to outpace uh, weekday ridership. And then when we look at the various lines, around the city and we compare them to what they were in April of 2019, we're exceeding those ridership numbers. Uh, my, one of my favorite lines, the 49 and the 22, are you know 123% more than uh, April 19. And look at the 22 Fillmore uh, for weekend ridership, 147% more than before. To me, this is just very encouraging and shows that you know, we do need this public transit in the future, and it is so important, and people will use it. For AC Transit, uh, for AC transit uh, the 12-month ridership totals, as you can see here through April, uh, are staying on par, but we do also want to see some additional ridership from that you know, trans-bay trans route coming across into San Francisco. Uh, and I wanted to show some almost apples to apples with what MTA was showing uh, on two slides ago. 
with regards to routes. And I just found it uh, very interesting, and uh, maybe some of you will as well, but it just shows how various right routes are, are booming and doing very well. And what I'm hoping is that we see the expansion of some more routes, which I believe MTA actually announced yesterday they will be expanding some more routes in the future. So again, just trying to glean some, no, we will not be. Um, so we, <laughs> uh, apologies for that. So um, all I'm saying is we're just, um, I'm very optimistic about the numbers I'm seeing, but I uh, do wanna say that we do have a lot to bounce back with. Uh, moving over to wayfinding, uh, we have a, a new application coming uh, as er early or late as August 2023. We're actually expecting the wayfinding app to be completed towards the end of this month with user testing and the rollout to additional interactive kiosks uh, coming over the next two months. And uh, just want to highlight some of the great features from the Wayfinding app. Uh, at the very top, we can see actually all the, the live data from routes uh, coming into the center. You know, maybe if you're uh, not, not in time for your route and you got another 10 minutes to burn, you might want to uh, grab a beer or a coffee and uh, hang around the center for a little bit more, which is, I think, great data to have around the center. Uh, in addition, we're, we're highlighting the, the region and the different routes that can take you to Napa, to Alameda, to San Mateo, whatever it might be, and, and really give people all the information they're looking for when they arrive in, at the center and they're not having to gather that data throughout the trip. Uh, of course, it also highlights our fabulous restaurants, uh, drinks, retail services, the park, even our art, and where you can find them throughout the park. So very, very um, excited to have this uh, in place in the next couple months. Uh, one, one topic that came up last time and I wanted to help clarify was our non-public rental and fee schedule, uh, which I had gone into more detail last month. Uh, but I just wanted to highlight a couple things from that policy update uh, and be very clear that it lowers our operational costs uh, by 600 to 1 million per year by adding additional revenues from these types of uh, private events or non-public rentals. And we are ensuring that the calendar, calendar is well curated and we're balancing time so the time isn't all spent on private events or just open time. And we, we really do our best to, to curate that calendar in a, in a friendly way. Uh, I would also want to highlight the fact that we're going to be providing a $500 discount to California 501c3s, which I think is, is a great win in, in getting the community out and um, allowing them to enjoy the park as well. Uh, for our retail leasing updates, uh, we've got VFI uh, coming very soon. We're looking at Q3 of this year. We've got Bear Bottle in the Grand Hall, hopefully coming soon after with Dimbao, Juice Bar, and Pokey House uh, waiting to get started. And then of course, uh, highlighting all the great uh, tenants we have now. In wrapping it up, uh, just, I love construction and this seemed like a really cool picture to include and uh, basically uh, VFI is uh, progressing very well. They're pouring concrete into their suite. Right now they're working on the drywall and framing uh, in their suite, so they are on target. With that, happy to answer any questions. Very good. Thank you for the update. I'm glad our young visitors are all okay. Yes. Director, <laughs> questions about the facilities report? 
Director Tumlin. Um, as many of you know, I've long been frustrated by the wayfinding system at the transit center. It's arguably the most frustrating wayfinding system of any transit center in the world. Um, I'm glad to see progress, and I'm also um, happy to um, help uh, both directly engage with you to improve that system, as well as to incorporate the emerging new regional intermodal wayfinding standards um, that MTC has been developing and that we at the SFMTA are already um, incorporating into our system. Love that. That's great. Thank you, Director Tumlin. Director I can point two things out. One, Director Tumlin, you'll notice in the slide that Ari presented there is uh, regional uh, wayfinding, not just operator insignia wayfinding. So if you're a visitor to the Bay Area and you don't know where AC Transit or Sam Trans or anybody goes, but you're going east or north, you can do that directionally through the new wayfinding, which is a direct result of that conversation. And we obviously are working very closely with the MTC team on the development of that. The other I wanted to point out is with VFI, it's the first restaurant to open on the Natoma side of the street. Um, and so so we're looking forward to their activation of that edge of the building. Um, and they'll be putting uh, tables and chairs out front, which we think will enliven that part of um, the pathway there, which is uh, street but is closed largely for non-emergency uh, use during most of the days. So we're, we're looking forward to an activation on the, on the other side of the building coming this fall. Director Tumlin, did you have any, any other comments? Or? Oh, no, just thank you for that detail. Uh, as uh, an operator, I feel very strongly that no transit rider should ever be required to know who operates the transit vehicle. They should just know how to get where they're going. Very good point. Any other questions, directors? Any public comment on the reports? Check and see if there's public comment in the room on the executive director's report. Seeing none, we'll check online. We have a member of the public. Uh, okay, go ahead and let them in. Uh, good morning, uh, Director Stroll and Brian. <clears throat> Thank you for the opportunity. Um, I would like to start with uh, a standing request for the um, Executive Director's report. Excuse me. To be appended to the, excuse me, I'm hearing some background noise. To be appended uh, to, the, to the agenda as part of the packet. Um, with regards to the quarterly financial report, which was not discussed, I continue to have problem with background noise. If somebody could mute, I would really greatly appreciate it. Mr. LeBrun, there's um, no background noise going on here. It might be on your end. Okay. Well, I can assure you there's no background noise here either. Um, if you look at the page 12 of the quarterly financial report, you see we've expanded $2.5 billion so far. It's totally unclear of uh, how much is that for phase one or phase two. They, they basically combine together and there does not appear to be um, any capital available um, for phase two. And uh, my last comment is that I really appreciate um, Director Tamlin's um, emphasis on regional um, um, wayfinding. Thank you. All right, thank you. Are there any other public uh, commenters on this item? All right, seeing none. Let's continue. All right, uh, Director's item six is the uh, Citizens Advisory Committee update, and we have uh, Chair Larkin with us. 
Roland's a tough act to follow. Anyway, good morning, Chair G and other board members. Uh, I'm Brian Larkin, Larkin Like the Street. I'm chair of the TJPACAC, and I'm here to talk about our meeting, the CAC's meeting of this past Tuesday, June 6th. Our agenda included the usual staff report, facility operations, the under-ramp park, downtown rail extension work plan schedule updates, and that was it for our agenda. Uh, Neela Gonzalez provided the staff support on their activities since our May meeting. There were no questions or comments on Neela's report. She did a really good job. Okay, uh, Andrea Miller gave a presentation on the fiscal year 23-24 operating budget. Eric Schottmeyer asked if Transbay bus service were suspended, will the agency still pay rent? And the answer was an unequivocal yes. We'll see. Gabe Chan asked how long the operating res reserve can last. I think the answer was that it's, it's the typical 25% and that will be what it'll be. If there were a number, I forget what it was. Um, I asked why the capital maintenance repair and replacement item had been transferred from the operating budget to the capital budget, Andrea and RE, so that they, they did that for items that were being upgraded. In other words, it wasn't just a one-for-one one replacement, replacement in kind. It was something where a feature were added or there was something more robust about the replacement. So as such, they figured it was reasonable to label it a capital expense. Um, R.E. Walsh gave his monthly report on facility operations. Natasha Patterson asked when Via Vi was expected to open, and that is probably going to be in September, as R.E. told me optimistically. Anthony Decor asked whether the phone app that provided way app, wayfinding was available in different languages, and the short answer is not yet. Um, a team from the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure, OCII, ably assisted, assisted by CAC's own Andrew Robinson, who did us all proud, presented on, planned, on the planned under Ram Park. Natasha Patterson asked whether the project would be affected by changes to schedule or scope for the DTX, and in as much as local residents had contributed to that park or to the planning of the park, and the answer is no, it will proceed regardless. Anthony Nacor asked about service hours and preventing vandalism and camping. A question for the ages, and he, he got a decent answer. Gabe Wong asked whether walkways were designed to provide continuity, especially at street crossings. The answer there is for the less busy streets, there's there are raised walkways. For the busier streets, there's added overhead lighting. Finally, Alfonso Rodriguez gave the DTX work plan up work plan update. By then, we were running out of time, so there wasn't much time for him to present, nor for people to ask questions. Alfonso was no doubt disappointed in that, but he bore up well just the same. That's it for this one. Very good, Chair Larkin. Thank you for your report. Directors, any questions for our CAC chair? Not seeing any. Any public comment? Check for public comment in the room on the CAC report. Seeing none. <laughs> uh, check online. No members online either. Carol Larkin, thank you very much. Okay, I'll look forward to seeing you next month. All right, call your next item. Please. All right, item seven is public comment where uh, directors, um, it's an opportunity for members of the public to address you on matters that are not on today's calendar. Um, 
we can check the room for members of the public for matters that are not on today's calendar. Uh, we'll check online. And we have one member on, uh, we have one, one caller online. Please let them through. Thanks again, uh, Chair G. Um, what I'd like to do very briefly is to um, attract your attention. I can hear Mr. Jason Brick laughing in the background, so if you could stop, I'd really appreciate it. Um, I would like to attract your attention to the U.S. Uh, Speedway Conference in uh, Washington on uh, May 17. And uh, there were various uh, topics being presented. But one particular topic that I think that um, warrants your attention is a presentation by um, Brightline Web, who building the line uh, between LA and Las Vegas. They're about to start construction. They think they will be operating um, between between LA and um, and uh, and Las Vegas in time for the Olympics. That's quite remarkable. So from start of construction to operation, the concern there is that there is pressure from the Hampshire Air Authority and um, the Desert Express for them to have platforms at the 48-inch level which is not compatible with platforms. And I urge the TJPA to re reach out to Brightline West and make sure that this does not happen. I think we have got a good opportunity here because we are considering both Siemens and Alstom rolling stock. And Alstom currently are the only high-speed manufacturers who be trained for platform capacity Caltrain boarding height. Thank you. All right, thank you. Uh, we have confirmed as well that uh, it is not our uh, feedback that he's hearing. Any other callers? All right, that concludes members of the public that wanted to address you under that item. We can go ahead. Continue. All right, and moving into your consent calendar where all matters listed are considered to be routine and will be acted upon by a single vote. There will be no separate discussion of the items unless a member of the board or the public so requests, in which event the matter would be uh, removed, from consent, removed from the consent calendar and considered separately. Directors, I've not received any indication that a member of the board or the public wishes to have any items considered separately. We'll double check online. With that, I'll go ahead and call your items. Please. Item 8.1 is approving the minutes of the May 11th, 2023 meeting. Item 8.2 is approving the operating assistance proposal dated May 17th, 2023 and an implementing agency resolution for the allocation of regional measure two funds in the amount uh, not to exceed $8,404,025. Item 8.3, authorizing the executive director to execute an amendment to the agreement for physical security systems and maintenance with Securidine Systems Intermediate, DBA Allied Universal Technology Services, to extend the agreement for one year for additional compensation of up to 384200 And directors, that concludes your consent calendar. Directors, is there a motion to approve consent? Vice Chair Mandelman, is there a second? Second. Director Forbes? Yes, uh, with uh, first by Vice Chair Manuel, second by Director Forbes, and no public comment, uh, Director Forbes. 
Aye. Forbes, aye. Director Galley. Aye. Galley, aye. Director John Baptiste. Aye. John Baptiste, aye. Doctor, Director McCauley. Aye. McCauley, aye. Director Tumlin. Aye. Tumlin, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. And Chair G. Yes. G, aye as well. Uh, the consent calendar is approved. Thank you. Let's go on to our regular calendar. All right. Uh, item nine on the regular calendar is adoption of fiscal year 2023-24 operating budget in an amount of 27629744 Fiscal year 23-24 capital budget for phase one, phase two, 10 improvements and capital maintenance repair and replacement in an amount of $160,593,434. And fiscal year 23-24 debt service budget in an amount of $17,966,672 and approve amendments to the non-public rental and fee schedule and TJPA pay schedule. And we have Andrea Miller, our Chief Financial Officer, to present the item. Good morning, Chair G, members of the board. Andrea Miller, Chief Financial Officer for TJPA, presenting the fiscal year 2023-24 operating and capital budget. Not sure if the presentation is ready. So I'm waiting for that to come up. I'll start with our budget timeline. Um, we presented in January a preliminary budget to the board um, in March in advance of our April meeting. Um, we provided the budget outlook. At the May board meeting um, last month, the draft budget was presented and this morning you're hearing the final budget for adoption. Operating budget highlights. There are no changes from the draft budget that was presented to you in May. Um, operator contributions remain unchanged from the draft. Continuation of RM2 supplemental support is included. Um, RM3 litigation is settled and funding is included in the budget as well. The budget is based on current staffing plan of 25 full-time equivalent employees and the park budget is consistent with the East Cut CBD MOU. As I mentioned, there are no changes in the operating um, revenue and expenses from the May presentation. 46% of resources comes from reimbursements. 49% of reimbursements is from operating revenue, while 5% is uh, reflected a use of fund balance. On the expense side, 13% of expenses is for administration. 79% is for transit center operations, and 7% is for sales force park operations. On the budget operating revenues, the slide reflects revenue only. The proposed final budget includes a proposed use of fund balance in the amount of $1,513,000. RM2 funds includes $5.97 million, uh, bridge toll funds for operations. The additional RM2 funding was to support, is to support operations prior to the full activation of the transit center that was extended for the three fiscal years covering fiscal year 22-23 through 24-25 which is included at 2.4 million. RM3 funds are included in the amount of 2.7 million. Park community benefit district payments or reimbursements in the amount of 1.6 million is included. That's based on 79.18% of allocable expenses and there are no adjustments to operating revenue from the May draft budget. Um, similarly, there's no changes in operating expenses from the May draft. Expenses are categorized by administration, which is 3.7 million. Salesforce Transit Center operations is $25.7 million, and Salesforce Park expenses are just under $2 million. Our operating reserves um, are in align with the board policy number 012. Emergency reserves are $500,000. Operating and maintenance reserves are at 
5.1 million, which represents 19% of our operating budget. Um, as I mentioned earlier, RM3 litigation is settled. Um, we're anticipating a reimbursement of 4,776,650 for the fiscal years of uh, fiscal year 20 through 22. That's going to the commission for approval this month. We're seeking board direction to fully fund the O&M reserves to the 25% board policy amount from fund balance with an additional transfer of just under 1.8 million. In addition to the fiscal year 23-24 capital budgets, um, the packet also includes a 20-year capital improvement plan summary. This information will be compiled into a full um, capital improvement plan, which will be submitted to the board later this year at the September board meeting. The capital expenses are reflected in four columns um, for phase one, phase two, tenant improvements, and capital maintenance, repair, and replacement costs. Resources for phase one will come from proceeds of community facility district bond sales. Phase two is a variety of funding sources that are either already allocated, programmed, and or planned. Tenant improvements are funded from bond proceeds and interest income, and capital maintenance, repair, and replacement is funded from capital replacement reserves, CBD park payments, and developer contributions. The capital budget expenses are uh, categorized in um, the following categories at a high level, um, administrative uh, salary and benefits, professional services, engineering and design services, right-of-way acquisition, construction and maintenance and contingency. Phase one uh, budget includes 17.5 million uh, to close out the final four uh, trade packages of the total 49 um, and other miscellaneous expensive uh, I'm sorry, miscellaneous professional expenses. Um, phase two is included at 136.7 million, uh, covering administrative expenses, professional engineering design, and right-of-way expenses. Tenant improvement um, capital is included at 2.4 million, covering marketing and leasing, project management, uh, landlord work, and tenant improvement allowances. Capital maintenance, repair and replacement is included for facility maintenance, security maintenance, park maintenance, uh, parcel F um, expenses to be paid by the developer and contingency allocation. And for our debt service um, is included at just under 18 million. Um, that's funded from our net tax increment, which is pledged from our, uh, to our two 2020 tax allocation bonds. It includes our scheduled payments for the October 1st and April 1st. And excess tax, net tax increment is used for the mandatory redemption of the subordinate lien turbo bonds. And with that, that concludes my presentation if there are any questions. Thank you for the presentation, and I want to also again say thank you to our partners. There's a lot of financial stress in our transit properties in the region, and thank you for your ongoing support, and hopefully uh, the state will do their part next week to, to help out. So any questions on, on the item? Director Forbes? Yes, I have a question for you, and thank you for an excellent presentation. I'm wondering again about the operating reserve, and I, I saw that that's three months of, of contingency, and there's an additional lar much larger reserve. But I'm wondering about the transfer from fund balance, because to me, fund balance is a reserve. So how is that fitting into hitting the policy of 
Great question. The reserve is earmarked by the board. So it's a portion of the fund balance, but it's specifically reserved. Um, so it comes from there, true, but it's not exactly the fund balance, which can be larger than the reserves. You anticipate that we'll need to continue to draw on fund balance to meet that 25% and the projections going forward? I'm sorry, can you restate the question? Do you, do you anticipate that in future years we'll also need to draw on fund balance in order to meet the 25% policy goal in that reserve? Meaning, do we have a challenge meeting this reserve from our uh, net revenue? It's dependent on the funding rece received. So if there are, if, if there's less um, revenue than anticipated, we would have to draw on reserves and continue to replenish in future years. Director John-Baptiste. Yeah, I just want to ask a follow-up question on that. I mean, essentially, if I'm understanding correctly, what you're doing is earmarking fund balance. You're restricting fund balance to sit as reserve. And so if you don't spend down that reserve in the next fiscal year, it just rolls over over time. And to the extent that the budget grows, you would have to add to it a little bit. But Correct. To me, this is correcting a... Um, shortfall that the agency has had for some time and that we've been talking about for some time as a board how to meet this this uh, policy goal that the board has set and my assumption is but tell me if I have this wrong my assumption is that in taking this action we are meeting the goal and setting ourselves up to be able to hold to that policy goal in future years because any adjustment from that point forward would be relatively marginal. That is correct. So in future years, if our anticipated, our projected budget is slightly higher, then we would have to recalculate to make sure we're at the 25% and earmark additional funds accordingly. So it is a protection in uh, years when your revenue is not as anticipated. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> Thank you, Director. Any other questions? Uh, Executive one. Director Vandewater looked like he had a comment for... Just a contextual statement. I think at this time last year we were in the high teens, 17, 18% of reserves. So this is, I believe, the first time the agency has met the 25% goal for three months of operating. So it's a, a positive step. That's great. I just want a final follow-up comment. It just highlights how small and lean the organization is and how important it is to <coughs> protect um, against uncertainties. So I'm really glad we're meeting that policy. But in the, looking at the budget again, I know we've looked at it before, it is notable how small this agency is and how much it has to do. Um, so it's a tight budget. <laughs> Director Tumlin. Um, while I'm still hopeful that the state will recognize the importance of transit, I am not yet hearing anything from the state that causes me to be optimistic. And so there is a good chance that your transit operator partners will be suffering significant financial cutbacks for the next three years. And I just hope that as you think about uh, your reserve policies that you take into account, uh, the impact on your funding partners who are operators, uh, as well as to the extent that I don't know if there's any, to what degree is San Francisco general fund flowing to the TJPA? Is that happening at all? No. No, okay. Uh, that That is something that I will continue to be concerned about, uh, but um, just I, I hope that you you think about the impact of fiscal cliff on operators as we um, likely need to start slashing service um, as soon as the end of this year. Thank you. Absolutely. Don't see any signs of optimism either. So um, our crystal ball needs to look at different scenarios and so and plan for it appropriately. So 
Any other questions, directors? Before we take action, public comment. We'll check for public comment in the room on the uh, budget item. Seeing none, we'll check online. We have one commenter. Please let them through. Uh, thanks again, Chair G. So what I'd like to bring to your attention is an issue that was flagged both last trailer in and a, and a member of the public at the CAC on Tuesday. If you look at page 25, which talks about the operating reserves, O&M is clearly operating. But then if you look at slide 31, somehow marketing and leasing commissions and other issues for a total of two and a half million dollars have somehow moved to the capital budget. If you then move on to the uh, uh, the next slide, which in your packet is 32, um, facility maintenance, two million dollars. Park maintenance, how did that shift from the operating budget to the capital budget? And if somebody could speak to this, my guess is the answer lies in the question um, that uh, some of the directors had with how much do we have um, allocating to uh, O&M reserve. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Do we have any other members of the public? No other members of the public wanting to comment on that item. Great, thank you. Directors, any other questions or comments? This is an item for action. What is the board's preference? I make a motion to approve. Thank you, Director Forbes. And I think Vice Chair Mandelman made the second. Yep. All right. Uh, with the first and second, um, Director Forbes. Aye. Forbes, aye. Director Galley. Aye. Galley, aye. Director John Baptiste. Aye. John Baptiste, aye. Director, uh, Director McCauley. Aye. McCauley, aye. Director Tumlin. Aye. Tumlin, aye. And uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. And Chair G. Yes. The aye as well. The budget is approved. Thank you very much. Thank you. Go ahead and call your next item. Item 10 is authorizing the executive director to execute amendment number four to the professional services agreement with the law firm Safe Rush Shaw to provide legal services related to phase one construction closeout, increasing the total amount of the contract by 3.5 million for not to exceed amount of 15.9 million with no change to the overall phase one program budget. And we have Dennis Church on to present the item. Good morning, directors. I'm Dennis Tershon, uh, Senior Construction Manager for the TJPA for the last 10 years and eight days now. <laughs> Just had that milestone. Uh, well, I'm here to queue up the, uh, this agenda item. It is related to the CFARTH contract, which is a, our legal counsel specifically for phase one construction and closeout. Uh, this is Amendment 4 to provide continuation and to uh, uh, request approval for funding uh, and also uh, the uh, Amendment 4. Who I have here with me as well as Ron Alameda is here as well as the Director of, of uh, Design and Construction of Phase 1. And normally we have a representative from our uh, uh, consultants. Uh, this in case is CFARTH. Normally Mike McKeeman would be here. He has been the one that has been really the... The, the the front person with that so we've we he's actually in a deposition with one of our uh, remaining consultant or contractors uh, so we have Alex Drury here right behind me uh, as our representative from CFARTH if you have any questions I do not have a presentation uh, and um, but that's um, here for any questions Ron Alex or myself if you um, as we move forward and request approval 
Very good, Dennis. Good to see you. Thank you for being here, directors. Any questions? Not seeing any. Any public comment? We'll check for public comment in the room. Seeing none, we will check online. We have no members of the public wishing to comment on this item. Directors, item for action. I'll move the item. Tumlin. Second. Thank you. Right. With the first and the second, Director Forbes. Aye. Forbes, aye. Director Galley. Aye. Galley, aye. Director John Baptiste. Aye. John Baptiste, aye. Director McCalley. Aye. McCalley, aye. Director Tumlin. Aye. Tumlin, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. And Chair G. Yes. G, aye as well. Item 10 is approved. Go ahead and call Thank your you. next item. All right. Item 11 is authorizing the executive director to enter into a refreshed asset management agreement with a special purpose entity created by Lincoln Property Company and asset manager uh, for the Salesforce Transit Center for a three-year term consistent with the contemplated options to extend. And we have Ari Walsh, our facility director, to present the item. Good morning again, Chair G and directors. I'm Ari Walsh, the TJPA facility director, requesting authorization to enter into a refreshed uh, asset management agreement with Lincoln Property Company for management services for the transit center. Uh, my presentation is fairly brief, but I'm happy to answer questions. Uh, just to highlight the basics of the agreement, it's a three-year extension as was allowed per the previous agreement. The budget reflects a savings of, of over $150,000 per year, and we would be extending our current set of subcontractors through this agreement. That includes custodial services, uh, your stationary engineering services, park programming services, our promotional platform service, and uh, our retail leasing broker. And again, happy to answer any questions, and I'm joined here today by two representatives from Lincoln Property. Good. All right, thank you. I like the word savings. Uh, directors, any questions? Director Tumlin. Um, Ari, can you explain to me, these are ongoing management functions for the center, and I wonder why are you not staffing up to handle these functions rather than contracting out? Uh, you mean staffing up internally yep. um, in versus subbing them out? Exactly. Um, my understanding, and I can, I'm happy to defer, uh, but it's, uh, I think, believe it's a cost savings to us to have Lincoln Property do it. We have a lot of retail space with which they have specialty in performing. Um, I do come from the city, and I am familiar with civil service and all and those great services that um, civil servants like I used to provide. Um, but in this case, it's just it's retail, and there's a lot of components um, that are not necessarily um, expertises for public sector. I believe, Neely, did you Tom want to I add anything to that? or Yes. I could add a, a few additional comments. Um, in 2017, when the TJPA first entered this asset management agreement, it was at the conclusion of a two-year procurement process where there was extensive peer review and thinking about what's the right way to design um, staffing for the management function at the facility. At that time, um, it was deemed that staffing up with consultants um, to provide some of those essential functions overseen by TJPA staff was the most economical and provided the best value to the TJPA. Um, certainly, TJPA could relook at that um, at the right opportunity for the next procurement, see if it still makes sense. But it was as the result of a pretty extensive process in thinking about how do we how do we staff this. Thank you for adding that. Thank you, General Counsel, for the assistance. Any other questions, directors? Not seeing any hands raised. Public comment. Check for public comment in the room. Seeing none, we'll check online. No members of the public uh, in the room or online that wish to comment on the item. 
I'll move the item. Thank you, Director Tomlin. Is there a second? Second. Second. Thank you, Vice Chair Mandelman. All right. With the first and the second, uh, Director Forbes. Aye. Forbes, aye. Director Galley. Aye. Aye. Director John Baptiste. Aye. Baptiste, aye. Director McCalley. Aye. Aye. Director Tomlin. Aye. Tomlin, aye. Uh, Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. And Chair G. Yes. The aye as well. Item 11 is approved. Should we call your next item? All right. Item 12 is the San Francisco Peninsula Rail Program Executive Steering Committee update and status of the downtown rail extension work plan schedule. Uh, we have Michelle Bouchard. Uh, our ESC chair and the executive director of Caltrain. Thank you. Um, morning, Chair G. Members, uh, before I get into my prepared remarks, I wanted to advise everybody, if you had not heard already, that Caltrain met a major milestone this week. Uh, we actually moved our train under our own traction power, and so uh, we are just really excited to still be on the road to revenue service in 2024. Uh, thanks to all of the support that we've gotten from this body and from uh, bodies up and down the peninsula. Anyway, short story is, uh, we will be prepared to be your initial operator uh, when the center is completed. Um, so I do wanna thank you all for taking action last month by extending the existing uh, San Francisco Peninsula Rail Program MOU with its six member agencies. Now that all parties have approved the amendment, we have the time necessary to craft a well thought out um, structure that continues our partnership in support of the portal project as it advances through procurement, completes its funding plan, and delivers construction safely to revenue service. We've come a long way, and we continue to make progress now with the support of the FTA. In our ESC meeting last month, we continued our discussion of the governance blueprint collectively providing our input to the study team while it continues its work with the IPMT. The structure acknowledges TJPA's role as delivery agency and Caltrain's role as the initial operator to jointly progress design and construction using an integrated project delivery team approach. This will provide transparency to all project stakeholders. Once our work is complete, we will present ESC's recommendation to your, for your consideration. I believe that we intend to come at the July, at the August board meeting. Um, so this concludes my comments. I do want to turn it over to Alfonso, who will give you an update on upcoming activities. Thank you. It will come up once we'll time. Okay. Well, as that's coming up, what I'd like to do, though, is I've got the pleasure of introducing our newest member of the uh, TJPA portal team, and that's Elena Callagy. Uh, Elena joins us from the city uh, planning department uh, as a, pro as a uh, senior environmental planner. Now she'll be uh, supporting our team with, uh, by working with various city departments um, ha that have jurisdiction over the pre-construction construction phases uh, and also be uh, managing our environmental work and other third party coordination. Elena uh, also previously worked for the Transbay program uh, as a consultant serving as our environmental manager. So I. Hope you'll join me in welcoming Elena to the TJPAT. Welcome, Elena. All right, I do have a few slides. It still hasn't come up. Uh, Once you start, yep, there you go. There we go, great. All right, well, um, probably looks a little bit similar to what I showed last month with a few subtle changes. We do have our archeological services consulting contract coming before the board next month. I just wanted to point out these include uh, pre-construction and construction period services, uh, providing archeological, historical, and cultural resource support, 
including historic documentation, really for regulatory compliance uh, that's responsive to the National Historic Preservation Act. Um, in July, we also have our procurement plan. And if you recall, uh, this board adopted our contract packaging procurement strategy in July of last year. Now, this work advances that strategy um, that uh, by prescribing contractor evaluation considerations and explains how we develop a construction cost and leading to a guaranteed you know, maximum price for construction. So it just takes that strategy and develops it into a process that informs our contract solicitation package and the actual construction contracts. In August, and that's our busy month, we've been talking about August 2023 for quite some time, um, we do plan on bringing a Caltrain, an initial Caltrain Master Cooperative Agreement before the board. And that um, MCA outlines our respective roles and responsibilities as we progress the project together with our initial operator, Caltrain, during, again, this pre-construction and construction period. Um, the next item is <laughs> the one that I referred to earlier, and that's uh, our baseline budget and schedule and capital funding plan. The board may recall in February we brought before you um, a bottoms-up look of our capital cost and, and how we plan on funding it. We submitted it to the FTA, as our executive director pointed out. We did complete a risk workshop. In that risk workshop, they evaluated our capital cost and schedule. I, we're still talking with them about the results. We plan on getting official results here very soon, but I did want to share with you that we're very happy with the conversations that we had during and after the risk workshop. It doesn't happen very often, but you know, our project management oversight consultant, the FTA, acknowledged our preparedness, and they thought that we did a really good job going into that effort, and I think the results will speak for themselves once we present them. Um, so I'm pretty proud of the team and all the work that we did to prepare for that. Um, in October, oh, and also in, in August, once we bring back the cost estimate and, and the schedule as adjusted by that feedback, uh, we will be asking for your approval to um, submit our formal request for a full funding grant agreement, and that's, and that's in August. In October, we plan on holding a public uh, relocation plan public hearing, and that's an action required by the Uniform Relocation and Property Acquisition Act. And just wanted to point out that that plan describes uh, the project and impacts to um, occupants for those properties that we need to acquire. It explains the agency's relocation assistance program and identifies potential replacement sites for those impacted occupants. We show in November that we plan on bringing the governance MOU before you. But as you heard earlier, uh, the governance blueprint is being discussed at IPMT. We'll be discussing it next week. We'll be bringing um, IPMT's feedback to the ESC for ESC's uh, discussion, and then it'll be presented to this board. But we expect the formal MOU extension or the approval to be presented to this board late this year. That concludes my update on actions coming before the board in the coming months. If you've got any questions. Alfonso, thank you. And it looks like we need to add 2024 in here pretty soon. Yeah. <laughs> well, August is at our doorstep, isn't it? And then Executive Director Bouchard, congratulations to the PSEP team and all the partners. While it wasn't quite high speed, 10 miles per hour on our track <laughs> in the Bay Area, on our power counts. So congratulations. Appreciate that. Directors, questions, comments?
Very good. Public comment? Public comment in the room? Seeing none on this item, public comment online. Okay. okay. Item uh, 13 is um, approving the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure Schematic Design for the proposed Underramp Park project, which is the first milestone contemplated under the 2022 term sheet with EastCut CVD. Delivery of Underramp Park will require several further discretionary actions and approvals, including approvals by TJPA, OCII, City and County of San Francisco, uh, the EastCut CBD, Caltrans, and others. We have R.E. Walsh, our facility director, to introduce the item and the team that will present. Good morning again. Ari Walsh, the TJPA facility director. I hope you're not tired of me yet, but I think uh, you'll get right into some lovely pictures and forget all about me in a moment. Uh, we're here today to discuss and preview the uh, schematic design for proposed underramp park. And I am joined here today by my colleagues from uh, OCII, CMG, our designers, YA Studios. Uh, and we've also got a partnership with Caltrans uh, and, and some others on uh, developing this space, including the East Cut CBD, who is also here to uh, answer any questions. In a moment, I'll go ahead and hand it off to Mr. Brandon uh, from OCII. But first, I just wanted to do a brief overview of the milestones and the approvals needed to get us to where we want to be into building this beautiful park. Uh, as you can see here, there's uh, 10 steps or milestones, whatever we want to refer to them as, and I'm just going to cover the four board actions um, that we will be coming back with. The very first one is where we are today uh, with you reviewing the schematic design and considering it for approval. Then uh, we will have uh, the CBD, uh, East Cut, uh, and the TJPA negotiate uh, an operations agreement, which is very important, uh, and then also bring that back to you for review and approval. After that, uh, with some steps, uh, some items in between, uh, TJPA, OCII, and uh, Public Works, or whomever we choose to be the general contractor, will enter into a construction agreement, which again, we will be back here for. And then towards the end, uh, TJPA would negotiate a lease agreement with Caltrans for a small piece of property that they actually own that the park would be built upon. Um, so with that, I will get out of the way and hand it over to my esteemed colleagues at OCII. Thanks. Thank you, Ari. <clears throat> Excuse me. Good morning, Chair G, uh, board members, and Executive Director Vandewater. Uh, as already mentioned, I'm Ben Brandon, the Transbay Project Manager at the Office of Community Investment and Infrastructure. Uh, I'm going to give, provide a quick overview of the Transbay Redevelopment Plan to you all, um, and then provide a summary of the park's design progress before transitioning things over to CMG Landscape Architecture and YA Studio to present the schematic design in front of you today for consideration. So the Transbay Redevelopment Plan was op uh, adopted in 2005, and it expires in 2035. The Transbay Implementation Agreement, which is a, an agreement between OCII and the TJPA, requires OCII to, among other things, uh, execute all activities related to the implementation of the redevelopment plan, including but not limited to activities related to major infrastructure improvements, and that covers uh, parks and open space in the area. The approximately two and a half acre park, as seen here shaded in green on your screen, is located generally between Folsom and Howard Streets uh, and First Streets and uh, Essex. 
the redevelopment plans designed for development document uh, for the Trans Bay neighborhood envisioned that the space underneath the new bus ramps uh, and the Caltrans overpasses could be programmed with new alleys and recreation facilities um, for the neighborhood. The schematic design before you today has had an extended timeline uh, of design work. In July of 2011, the former San Francisco Redevelopment Agency selected CMG, Landscape Architecture, to lead the design uh, and prepare a concept design for Underramp Park, which was then known as Oscar Park due to the site's proximity to the former Oscar Alley. In June of 2013, uh, the former uh, Redevelopment Agency Commission approved the concept design for the park. And then between 2013 and 2021, uh, the design work has just progressed in ebbs and flows due to a variety of jurisdictional and logistical issues. Uh, the final scope of the schematic design was resolved um, in, the, in the fall of 2021, and that included the incorporation of a historically uh, relevant zigzag modern structure, which was actually previously used as a hot dog stand, um, uh, which many of you might know. It was on the Transbay Block 5 site and stood there for a long time. Uh, and the Transbay Block 5 site is where now Park Tower um, sits. I will now turn things over to Sam Woodhams Roberts with CMG Landscape Architecture and Yaku Askew of YA Studio to walk you through the park's schematic design. And then I'll be back to talk about schedule. Sam? All right. Thank you, Ben. Thank you to the board. And I'm Sam Woodhams Roberts with CMG Landscape Architecture, and I am so excited to be here today. I want to start by orienting you to the site. We're talking about a little over three blocks uh, span of park between Folsom and Howard. We have the two ramps going through there. There's the Fremont off-ramp, which is a Caltrans off-ramp, and the new TJPA bus ramp into the transit center. Throughout this project, we've had these three main tenets. That's improve connectivity, foster community, and create a destination. So I'm going to show you how that looks like in plan form. Starting with uh, creating, fostering uh, circulation and connectivity. So when we talk about that, we're talking about connecting Folsom Street and all the new development up there, the East Cut, and the Rincon neighborhoods, and all that action, and bringing that down through the park and down to the transit center and downtown areas. There are also these neighborhood connections through the alleyways like Clementina. So we're providing accessible circulation for pedestrians and protected bike lanes from Folsom down to Howard and into the transit center. On top of that, we layer on neighborhood amenities like a dog park and a sports court, places where you can bump into your neighbor and make a new friend. And then finally, we have some opportunities to get a bite to eat and grab a drink in this really unique and iconic space. So drawing from a further uh, destination throughout the city. And this is what it looks like in plan form and I'll walk you through some of those spaces. Starting with the multi-sport court. This is up at the corner of Folsom and Essex where everybody queues to get onto the Bay Bridge. There's room for a small multi-sport court. Uh, we have basketball hoops that are layered on with soccer nets. Um, and then looking at other striping for this area, so kind of layering on these different sport amenities. And then there's this idea around a graphic treatment. Uh, we'll be developing that, but the idea is that it's really lively and vibrant under here to help activate that space. 
I'm going to drop down and look at the Folsom Plaza and Clementina Green. So we're going to look at that from Clementina into the space. You'll see there's about 12 feet of grade change between Folsom and Clementina. So we have these accessible paths coming down the right side of the screen with bike lanes over there. And that helps to frame this, what we call the Clementina Green, which is a synthetic lawn uh, that can be used for various events, uh, movie night, musical venues, small things like that. Um, there's amphitheater seating built in, a small slide to connect the spaces. And then there's the Folsom Pavilion, which has a community space that spills out. There's East Cut CBD offices to help activate the space, and there's some restrooms associated with that. And Yaku will speak to that more later. I'm going to pop back up to Folsom Street, looking at that pavilion a little bit closer. So you can see this upper floor uh, and the plaza space associated with that. This would be a place where you might be able to grab a cup of coffee, sit out, and it's a balcony experience where you can look down into the park and see a lot of the activity going on there. I'm going to jump down to what we call the concession garden. The idea is something like a beer garden where you could get a bite to eat and drinks. You'll see that concession building in the background there that would be servicing this area. This is in the bus ramp turnaround, which we lovingly call the Oculus. It's a really iconic space in the park, so we're celebrating that with this social moment. We'll jump over to the dog park, which is off of First Street, so we're looking uh, west along Clementina. This, is, this will be a major dog park for the neighborhood. There's about 400 feet, linear feet there, of dog park. There's small dog park associated with that, and a lot of amenities. Uh, for the dogs, so things they can climb on, this undulating topography, a really playful landscape. And uh, the surface treatment there is synthetic turf, which is kind of best practices these days. That gets irrigated to help with the smells. And then we have that undulating topography is uh, asphalt with a coating on it. There's a fitness area, so just a small spot to do some push-ups and sit-ups and some equipment for that on your circuit. And then bumping down closer to Howard, we have a sculptural seating area with some kind of whimsical artistic seating in there and a great place to hang out and enjoy this garden-esque environment. We want to talk about lighting. Lighting is very important for this park because it's under these ramps. And so we're putting a lot into that. And that's a kind of three-layered approach. That starts with the ambient lighting. So that's coming from a lot of the down lighting, the post lights that is going to make sure this place feels warm and welcoming and safe at all hours uh, and in all weather conditions. So we'll always be well lit here and people will feel welcome. Then on top of that, we layer on this projection lighting. Uh, the, that's the patterning you see projected onto the, the ceiling plane there. And that'll continue down through the park and add this visual continuity and interest to the overhead plane. And then finally, there's specific lighting associated with each program element that really draws out the character of those program elements. So the, the pavilion and the concession stand, the sports area, they all have their own unique lighting. And finally, I'll talk about planting. The planting has to be able to thrive under these ramps. So uh, we're looking at mostly native and adaptive species, but things that can handle this uh, dark condition and uh, a kind of harsh urban environment. These are mostly frondy for anything, kind of have a prehistoric vibe to them, but uh, that would be really interesting in a way that pushes back on the scale of the ramps above. And then where we do have more light, we're looking at adding in pollinators and more native species, always with an eye towards the San Francisco biodiversity guidelines. 
And with that, I will turn it over to Yaku for architecture. Thanks, Sam. Good morning. Um, Yaku Askew, principal with YA Studio, and I'm going to walk you through the two architectural buildings that we have on the site. Um, so beginning with the pavilion, as Sam was mentioning, up on Folsom. Uh, this is the more dynamic of the two structures, really intended to help bring you into the park and welcome you in um, up on Folsom Street. It's, in, it's straddling that grade change that Sam mentioned, about 12 feet between Clementina and uh, Folsom. And so it's a one-story structure up at Folsom, and then uh, terraces down to Clementina and becomes a two-story structure. Up at this level, we have uh, retail opportunities, so one to three small vendors really kind of thinking about small entrepreneurs, you know, sort of low overhead, um, being able to uh, help support uh, the sustainability of long-term um, business. Uh, really looking at indoor-outdoor um, opportunities, and so spilling out into the plaza. As we come down to the Clementina level, uh, we start to see the building express itself in two stories. Uh, towards the right, we see the CBD offices. So this is on the ground floor there. So they would have uh, direct eyes onto the plaza, and this is where all the, uh, their offices would be. Uh, towards the left of the offices would be a flex space, and this is really intended to be a community serving space, uh, opportunity for birthday parties, uh, events, community events, um, you know, meetings uh, for the neighbors and residents uh, of the surrounding area. And then towards the left, we start to see some of the restrooms. Um, so as we uh, pivot around towards Clementina, looking back at the building, you start to see some of these uh, overview opportunities. So because of the grade change, we're getting great vistas throughout the park uh, from this Folsom Street level. Uh, we see the bathrooms down at the lower level. Uh, we worked a lot with DPW to really sort of focus on uh, some of the best practices um, and uh, best case studies that we've seen in public parks and integrate those ideas into these restrooms. Uh, this is uh, elevation, just looking at some of the materials and the overall scale of the project. Um, and then some plan views, so this is the lower level. Uh, so at the bottom of the page, we're seeing the CBD offices, uh, sort of all the building systems towards the right, uh, restrooms at the top of the page, and then the middle there, we have that flex space, really intended to be an indoor-outdoor space, so you can get a large birthday party, you know, spilling out and watching the kids run around. Uh, there is a kitchenette in there, and so it should really function well as a multi-purpose space. Uh, back up to the upper level, uh, so this is on Folsom Street, you really sort of see the um, retail uh, section towards the right, and then this indoor-outdoor opportunity for seating and dining and uh, enjoyment with your neighbors. Down to the concession building, so this is across Clementina. Um, so as was mentioned, uh, we wanted to integrate the uh, zigzag, zigzag uh, modern structure um, from the formerly hot dog stand, and we wanted to bring it back as a retail element, and we also wanted it to be something that you interact and engage with, and so we brought it proud, uh, so you kind of walk in underneath, that's where you're placing your order, picking up your food, um, and then behind it we sort of have the serving uh, area of the structure, which is uh, hosting the kitchen, storage, dishwash, and all the other stuff to run a concession stand. Um, and they're speaking two different languages, you know, to help sort of accentuate each other, uh, prop each other up, and, and uh, relate in that fashion. Um, as we walk around, you can see the back structure is intended to be uh, structural channel glass. It's going to have a nice glowing effect, so it's a sort of glowing ephemeral box um, contrasting with the sort of heavy concrete structure of the zigzag uh, modern. Uh, view from the back, you start to see that this, uh, again, straddling some of the grade difference we have on the site, so this is about a five or six foot difference, uh, sort of melts into the landscaping, and you start to see all that landscaping sort of wrap itself around the building 
um, and a very sort of restrained um, back face to allow the park to really shine in this moment. And then seeing some of the elevations, again, uh, you know, pretty simple materials, really looking at durability um, and uh, good maintenance, as well as a welcoming uh, vibe. And then the plan, pretty simple. Um, we don't have a tenant on board, but we, we looked at, again, is just uh, sort of good case studies for how to run a good operation uh, of this scale, um, thinking you know, small food items as well as plenty of beverages. And I will pass it back to Ben. Uh, thank you, Yaku and Sam. Uh, so to wrap up, uh, you know, here's a quick overview of the park's design, funding, and construction milestones. Uh, we aim to complete the design and construction documents uh, by the winter of 2024. Uh, OCII intends to issue bonds uh, in late 2024 or early 2025, and those bonds, uh, bond proceeds will fund the park's construction. Um, by the spring of 2025, we aim to complete the advertisement and bids for the construction uh, of the project and then finalize that construction award. Uh, we intend to break ground in the middle of 2025 um, with the park um, planning to open in the summer of 2027. And that concludes our presentation today. Um, so uh, I, myself, as well as the design team, are available for any uh, questions after public comment. Thank you. Very good. I think Ari was looking they have at a video. They have a video. Yes, that yes, like thank to you. Show you. Let's do it. We have a little bit Set of time. We do have a video fly through. Um, and Sam Woodhams Roberts with uh, CMG will walk you best, through it. Do your best, Morgan Freeman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you want the musical version, I think it's on the East Cuts website. Some inspirational music. But we can see here we are at Howard Street popping up. So you're going to float up above the ramps. So we turn those off. And you'll see over to the left, there's a cafe area as part of an easement with the 55 Howard, 555 Howard development. You'll see that sculptural seating area bike lanes coming down the right, all the circulation up through the park. 33 Tahama has their private area over there, but that's a arts plaza that spills out into the park. You see the concession garden there and the concession building. The dog park is down the way in the, in the distance there. You see the Folsom Pavilion and the Clementina Green down below. And then we're gonna swoop down into Folsom Street and into the sport court. Basketball, street soccer, hockey, street hockey, stuff like that. Um, here we are at Folsom Pavilion. Let's swing around and look down into that Clementina Green space. So a great place to have a movie night and events play around during the day, look across the street to the concession garden, concession building, we're going to jump over to First Street, so we're looking down through the dog park, and again up and overhead, so you can see these areas like the small dog park, the long dog park, the fitness zone some leisure games associated with the concession garden, bocce and ping pong. Um, some seating areas, a little down into the art plaza. Lots of circulation. And then this kind of sculptural seating area and the cafe area. 
is associated with 555 Howard. And there we are back at Howard Street. We'll be happy to answer any questions. Great, thank you. <clears throat> questions from directors? I have a comment and a couple of questions. Certainly. What a really uh, beautifully designed and uh, an exciting group of enhancements for the neighborhood. And I think it's critical that we en enhance residential experience, which the neighborhoods are thriving and need to continue to thrive as we recover from COVID. I am concerned about targeting money and how um, judicious we need to be to really hit the target of the residential experience. And there's just a lot here, and I imagine there's a lot of expense and a lot of operating expense and a lot of management and implementation expense. And as you move through the project, just to continue to look at the effectiveness of the dollars and um, how it's hitting that residential experience and to not, you know, just to be really cautious, I would say. that I, I did have that reaction in, in seeing. and. These spaces are amazing, but they are under freeway ramps. And so there's other spaces also in that area that may have in, uh, superiority in terms of just light and air, et cetera. So these are the kinds of sort of targeted conversations I think should be ongoing through project implementation. That's my suggestion. Thank you. Thank you, Thank you Director Forbes. Other questions? Director John Baptiste. Um, I, yeah, I think maybe building on Director Forbes' comments, I, I did wonder how you have evaluated likely usage of the park. I agree, it's totally beautiful, it's super inspiring. It's also freezing and under a freeway. And I just was curious if you could speak to the community engagement process that you've been involved in to evaluate the likelihood that people would want to take advantage of this. Um, are there examples either in other parts of the city or other parts of the country where folks have done this type of project well and seen a positive public response to it? I think at a minimum, the connectivity for pedestrians and bikes makes a ton of sense, but the, the programming aspect of it, I have a few more questions about. Certainly. Uh, did you want to start on that? And then I'll call on the East Cut Executive Director as well. Thank you for the question. Uh, with respect to the community outreach, you know, I, I did mention earlier that this, the design process has gone on for about 10 years. And we've had numerous, over that time, we've had numerous meetings with the public, either via the Transbay CAC, but also just broader community um, events through the planning department, where we piggyback it on that. Um, there's been an overwhelming groundswell of support from the East Cut community and the Rincon Hill community uh, for the delivery of this park. Um, mainly residents speaking to the lack of accessible open space. It's strange in that, like, if you look at the, the Embarcadero and those green spaces, they're not that far away. But for the residents who live in these areas, what we hear consistently is that they want um, and need, actually, accessible green space basically at their door. One of the things that OCII has done over the past five years that I've been leading Transbay is we've delivered already 3,000 housing units, many of them affordable units. Um, and there, there does seem to be feedback that we're getting from our affordable partners that there's just not enough accessible green space um, for them to tap into. So we do feel as far as usability and desire um, that the park will deliver. To the question or comment about it being freezing down there, I, I too can agree with that when you are standing along Folsom or Howard Streets. But what's unique about this space is that 
because it's sandwiched in between the ramps and existing structures, you actually don't get that wind effect that we often experience in the, in the larger downtown streets um, in that part of the city. I do know that CMG has done some um, initial studies into wind and sound and how it's going to bounce off those ramps. Um, we do agree that more study is needed. Uh, again, this is a schematic design approval. Um, as you heard at the, at the entrance to this item, um, there are many discretionary approvals still left. Um, so I think we're taking notes on what your concerns are, and uh, I'm certainly taking notes and um, being aware of what we need to study further. Thank you. Um, I have a couple more questions. Is that okay if I keep going? Yeah, please. Um, can you speak a little bit about the funding, the, the, the construct for the funding? I think I misunderstood in reading this item, um, but the relationship between the bonds that OCII will issue, the fundraising that the CBD is doing, I understand that the CBD is responsible for the operation and maintenance on a long-term basis. Is the fundraising that they're doing separate from the kind of regular um, collection of revenues that comes through the normal CBD process. How uh, optimistic is the is the group on the kind of viability of the fundraising? Can you just speak to overall kind of the financial construct on this? Absolutely, and it's a definitely a fair question, and it's a, the, the funding is complicated. So I'm going to take um, the first portion of the answer, and then I'll turn things over to Andrew Robinson with the uh, uh, CBD to to address it as well. So on the capital side, OCII is responsible for generating the capital to deliver the construction and well, design and construction of the park. So we've already done a previous bond issuance, which is um, funding the design, paying for CMG and uh, Arup and YA Studios work. Um, we will then issue further bonds, like I said, in 2024, 2025, um, once we have a finite number of what the cost of the park will be, um, and that will cover the construction of the park. As far as the CBD's role, um, when we entered into this, you know, this project agreement, I would say with the TJPA, at, at the time it was, it was initially just a, a relationship between the TJPA and OCII. Uh, we didn't have an identified operator. Uh, over time, in working with the TJPA, the TJPA identified that it desired uh, the EastCut CBD to serve as that operator and manager of the park. Um, when I, start, when I stepped onto the project and we started doing uh, analyses of what the operational costs were going to be, um, we were showing about a, a two to 500K, depending you know, on how you ran those analysis, but annual deficit. And so the money that the EastCut CBD is actually raising right now um, to the tune of $3 million uh, is what they need to raise total, uh, is intended to cover the first five years of operating deficits um, to give the park some runway. Um, uh, to get open and operation, operational. Um, and then with that, I'm going to turn things over to Andrew uh, to explain what happens after year five, and what the plan is there. Sorry, before you go, sure. how does OCII repay its bonds? We repay, well, I, we repay its bonds through tax increment that comes in from the, from the neighborhood. So it okay. effectively, it is um, the neighborhood property owners, yeah. right, that are paying back um, those, those bond proceeds. Got it, yeah. thank you. Andrew? <clears throat> Chair D, board members, uh, Andrew Robinson, Executive Director, Executive Director Vanderwater, thank you so much for having us here today and hearing this item. I mean, this, the partnership just to get to today has been not insignificant, and the road forward is more work to be done. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a little cold, but not COVID. Um, the, 
fundraising, we are super optimistic about. We actually are $150,000 short of our first milestone, which is $1.2 million. We actually see today's approval uh, as being significant in getting some of the folks that we've talked to to see the projects actually moving for businesses, uh, developers in the city who have paid attention, uh, realize this project has been talked about for over a decade. Uh, I actually was at probably the first meeting on this at YBCA in 2012 before the East Cut existed, before the Transit Center existed. Um, and what we bring to this is, yes, a new community, but also um, our partnership on the Salesforce Park, where we are the major funder, what's worked there. Uh, we also are activating the former temporary transit terminal with a crossing and seeing tremendous success on the sports and recreation in particular. Um, but we need to be thinking about comfort, warmth. How do we make the beer garden inviting? There's no question about that. That said, we are looking at the neighborhood as a suite of park spaces. For all intents and purposes, Salesforce Park is a botanical garden that has some lovely programming. Can't throw a ball, can't ride a bike, can't bring a dog. All desperately needed in the neighborhood. We're building a new park at Transbay Block 3 that'll address some of the children's play needs. But this park really addresses sort of a larger community gathering opportunity with the basketball courts, soccer. We are bringing pickleball. I have to say the pickleball at the crossing has a wildly, I knew it would be popular, but wildly exceeded expectations. We sometimes have 45 people waiting to play pickleball. Um, <clears throat> so I feel very promise, uh, very positive that this park will be uh, well used and loved. On top of that, the CBD, uh, you know, through our own experience currently and what we're learning, will bring all of those lessons to this project. We feel like we manage the neighborhood well. We cover nine miles of sidewalks. Many of the stories that you hear about San Francisco are not the experiences we have in our neighborhood. And we think this project actually is a story about how we can revitalize downtown. It, it, we have the building blocks in the East Cut to see San Francisco be what we want it to be. I hope that answers your question. Yeah, that's super helpful. Thank you very much. I will say I took my kids to Salesforce Park yesterday, and it's beautiful. It's one of my favorite places in the city. And my daughter kept asking me, but where's the park? Sort of uh -huh. for that, you know, where do you throw the thing? Um, my final question on this, if you could just speak to, well, actually, sorry, two more questions. Uh, no perks. No One works. is the 2035. Is that... Does this need to be done by 2035? Is there, like, what, what is the implication of the plan area expiring in 2035? And then the other totally separate question is just, have you thought about how to provide kind of local character with this place that's being created, you know, whether that's through um, investment in art and local artists, et cetera? Um, it can feel maybe a little bit sterile if we don't think about the, the specifics. I completely agree. Let me actually pass it back to Ben. I will say that we do want to see this built before 2035. So I will say that's for sure. But The question you ask is one that is constantly on my mind um, as the project manager for, for Transbay. Um, as Ari just mentioned, the intention is to definitely deliver the park before 2035. That said, um, I've checked in with our legal counsel to confirm um, what happens with the expiration of the plan area in the event that construction had not started. If construction starts prior to 30, 2035, our legal counsel's interpretation is that we are allowed to proceed and see it all the way through. If it hadn't started prior to 2035 and we hadn't taken those actions, then there's legitimate questions as to whether or not the state would allow us to proceed with it. Um, so I think that answers that yeah, question. Thank you. Uh, and I think your second question was on 
um, local uh, design elements and, and touches. I think that that's best to turn back over to the design team. And I don't know if you want to take that Chris Yard or Sam. <laughs> I'm happy to take it. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me, excuse me. Good afternoon, directors. Chris Guillard with CMG Landscape Architecture. And um, yeah, I think that this is going to be a joint effort as we move through the design development phase, working alongside of OCII and, of course, the, the East Cut CBD to really um, engage the community further in some of the elements that can bring that local flavor, character, and identity. And I think, <clears throat> you know, when you think about public space, it's really an evolving story. And once it becomes a place, that creates a, a kind of vessel for the community to express themselves. And so I see that as a, an ongoing story that's not just a part of the first design that lies a lot <clears throat> with, with these cuts, CBD. Thank you. Very good. Uh, Director Tillman and Director Galley. Uh, so Directors Forbes and Jean-Baptiste asked uh, all of my questions. Uh, so I, uh, I would, or no, and thank you for that, and more intelligently than I would have asked them. Um, uh, but I, uh, I actually uh, really do want to compliment the design team. Uh, designing active public open spaces under a freeway overpass is notoriously difficult, and it is clear that you have learned from all of the successful examples here in North America, um, including our own DeBose skate park um, under the central freeway. Um, I have every confidence that this space will succeed if it is managed uh, and funded, the operations are funded appropriately. Um, I also wanted to uh, just point out a couple of design details. Um, one is the city is making a very significant investment in fully protected and landscape bikeways on both Howard and Folsom. And this project connects both of those directly to where the bike parking is um, for the transit center. And the second is, um, uh, as I'm sure many of you know, uh, the Mexican consulate um, has long queues in the mornings. And the design of this park very thoughtfully accommodates families um, queuing to take care of their visa and passport and other services at that consulate uh, at a time when there's very little else going on in the neighborhood. So a very thoughtful touch for that. Thank you. Thank you, Thank Director you. Tumlin. Director Galley? Um, yes, I was also really impressed with the presentation. Um, I did have kind of a con uh, continuing question about the funding, but more about the capital portion of it. Sure. Um, and I was just wondering, is the 1.2 um, for the first milestone, is that for capital or for also for operating? I believe that is for operating. Yes, that is for operating. And so all of the capital has already been um, identified? Those would be the, the bonds that, you, you go ahead. Yeah. So we do have uh, bond proceeds in place currently, but that's funding the design and engineering of the park. And then in, the, in, the, in either late 2024 or early 2025, OCII will go out with another bond issuance to fund the capital to construct the park. Okay. Yeah. The estimate on the cost. We did a price update last year, um, and it came in at about 23 million. And now that we have a a fully refined schematic design. Um, CMG and I have been planning to do another price update this summer. Um, because we know we have other discretionary actions to come back before this body uh, with, our intent was to bring updated pricing to this body at, at, at those times. I have to say that number didn't give me sticker shock given the amount of benefits that you showed in the design. So I just want to react to that figure. Thank yeah. you. Other comments? Director McCauley. Uh, a question. Um, in in your developing uh, the uh, projected operating cost, does that include the debt service? 
for the for the bonds? Does the operating cost of the park include the debt service of the bonds? Yes. No, it does not. So the operating cost for the park um, just to run true operations um, will just rest with the East Cut CBD and their responsibility. Repayment of the bonds is a responsibility of OCII, um, and we have to carry that forward as an obligation. And uh, so those two things are, are separated. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Very good. Other questions, directors, vice chair? Did you have any questions? Uh, I don't have any questions. I just, um, it's, I think, uh, a, a compelling vision. I do think uh, some of my colleagues have asked some good uh, practical questions about what is this actually going to feel like, you know, when it's, when it's happening. And I trust that folks are going to be attentive and attuned to that. I don't have sticker shock about that price. Hopeful that the CBD can um, raise the operating because that does seem like an ongoing. I mean, whether the space succeeds or fails will have a lot to do with whether you can replace the light bulbs in a timely way and and um, and do the things that you need to do to address whatever operational challenges are coming along. But I do think um, it's it feels like a good project and a necessary one, and I certainly hope we can get it done long before 2035. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Vice Chair. Andrew, I, I must have missed it. What happens after year five of the funding? I think Director John Baptiste asked that, but I must I may have missed the You didn't miss it. Okay. I've sat back down and been like I didn't answer a critical piece to this, which is we do actually have a long term strategy for permanently funding the park, which is we have to be renewed in twenty thirty. And so right now we are short uh, I believe Ben referenced about 300,000. We actually internally have it a little bit higher. Uh, we have over five, uh, we have just under 5,000, excuse me. We have <clears throat> 4,978 properties that pay into the district right now. Um, 30 of them make up 66% of our budget. So they're the ones we need to most be in conversation with. Even conversations now when real estate is as uncertain as it is, there's a very positive reaction to a modest increase in their assessment for the benefits they're receiving from the CBD. So we basically would recalibrate our assessments to get the funds to operate this permanently. Okay, very good. Thank you for, for clarifying that, which means, you know, this is a great opportunity for the neighborhood to activate and bring um, open space and active and a variety of spaces. And in, in, in my city, one of the most popular parks is the Dog Agility Park. Um, young couples aren't having kids, but they're having pets. It's a <laughs> place to, for them to go. But that also brings the point, if you're going to renew assessments or revisit them, that um, you need to make sure the operating budget is fine-tuned. Um, and so it reminds me of when we were doing the Salesforce Transit Center and the efforts we went through to figure out what the maintenance and operating budget will be, that that similar exercise needs to be done here so that you don't have to go back and revisit any reassessments and you get it right um, because as the vice chair said, you don't want to get caught where the light bulbs can't be changed and other things can't be maintained because this is a very attractive design, but it'll fall apart very quickly if it can't be maintained appropriately. So, Agreed. And I, and I will, I know that was a comment, but I, I, w I do want to give a positive plug to the East Cut CBD because they do a fabulous job. I was very impressed by the statistics you raised yesterday about how much work y'all do to abate graffiti and everything like that. And I think that's part of the reason why they're a great partner in this because um, when you abate graffiti in what eight hours something something fabulous so very well taken yeah 
a great partnership and it makes a big difference and you can see that when you're out on the streets and walking through the neighborhood so thank you any other questions from directors executive director i just wanted to uh highlight a couple of elements that you've heard today for your consideration this is clearly an iterative process and we'll be back to you with three discretionary approvals around operations construction and leasing agreements we initially anticipated bringing the operating discussion for the very reason of the questions you raised today along with the schematic designs. Um, and as we've been in conversation with the CBD and OCI, it's been clear that we need to have a set of visuals to go out to market with to uh, attract sponsors and funding that are a critical part of the operating and funding plan. Uh, so I appreciate your indulgence and consideration of the schematics today to allow that to proceed. Um, there is a groundswell of support, as you heard from uh, the neighbors. Many of them uh, showed or, or submitted testimony to our CAC and to your packet today. Um, and it meets a critical need in making downtown a lively, successful place as a place of residence. Um, as you heard, we have a very successful park and park programming, but it, there are express activities that uh, are not allowed in that space, and this will meet that, that need. So we're very supportive of this. As you saw in some of the photographs, these are under-ramp parks largely contained by uh, fences and with you know a temporary construction laydown that will become active community spaces uh, and further the long term success of the Transbay neighborhood. But I just wanted to emphasize that we will be back to you uh, many times. Um, the next being the operations plan, we'll hear a little bit more about the actual operating costs for security and programming and things to answer your questions more discreetly. Very good. Thank you. Public comments? All right. We'll check for uh, members in the, um, in the room that would like to provide public comment on the item. Hi, good morning, TJPA board members. My name is Madison Tam. I'm a legislative aide for supervisor Matt Dorsey, who uh, could not be here today, but um, our office actually also was at the CAC meeting on Tuesday showing our support um, along with neighbors for uh, this park and for it to continue moving along in the process. As you know, the East Cut is a highly dense neighborhood with over 30% affordable housing and even more to come. The proposed under-ramp park is not just a recreational space, but also a catalyst for positive change in our community. The amenities it offers will enhance quality of life, promote wellness, and foster a stronger sense of community for those who live and work downtown. With the 2023 groundbreaking on Block 4, the neighborhood will temporarily lose some of the park space at the crossing. We need to ensure permanent park assets for sports, uh, pets, socializing, and safe pedestrian and bicycle access um, through a neighborhood stressed by traffic going to the Bay Bridge. We firmly, firmly believe the design for this park is ready for its next steps, and we urge you to move forward in this process and stay on schedule. And I do wanna just echo what um, has already been said about the excellent level of service from the East Cut CBD. I was walking home the other day, called um, the CBD's phone line for uh, cleanup of some, of some things that I saw on the sidewalk, and by the time I was walking by in the morning, it was already abated and removed. So I want to thank TJPA, OCII, the East Cut CBD, and all the partners who've been so great and that, I, that our office has much faith in as this process moves forward. So thanks. We have two, uh, no other members in the room? All right, I believe we have at least two online. I'm going to let them through, or at least one of them. Uh, thanks again, uh, directors. I mean, this is uh, this is a wonderful park. 
Um, I was at the first meeting, uh, Supervisor Jenkins was a supervisor at the time. What I'd like to do is to circle back to your concern uh, that was raised uh, at the CAC about the potential uh, construction impacts of the DTX um, on the path. Um, specifically, there are two changes that uh, happened to DTX last year. First, the mining of the throat was abandoned and transitioned to a cut and cover construction with impact all the way down to Clementinum. So the most significant change that happened was the drop of the third track, which reintroduced the viability of the 7th Street alignment, which eliminates all surface impacts south of Natoma by splitting the DTX into two small tunnels, one under MENA and one under Natoma. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Next caller. Hi, uh, my name's Katina Johnson. I, I wrote a two-minute spill asking for your support, but uh, I'm going to call an audible and speak to the concerns and questions that the uh, commissioners have brought up. Uh, as a way of personal background, I'm a former member of, uh, former president of the CBD Formation Committee, past president of the CBD, member of the OCII, CACD, and I'll be looking at this park directly from my window, uh, and I'm desperately waiting for the courts to get built. When I moved into this neighborhood in 2009, there was a wall painting promoting this grand new park, uh, and it said coming in 2017. So it's 2023, and we definitely don't want to wait until 2035. At this point, I will be happy to get it in 2027, um, and maybe we can put up a new sign saying coming in 2027. I, I will say that this park is wanted and needed. It will be a huge benefit to downtown and the city and the people who live in this area and the tourists. <laughs> Uh, and workers. Um, everything the commissioners have asked about has been discussed and addressed ad nauseum, especially the operating expenses. Uh, we've even talked about the wind and, 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 you know, the coldness and how to address those things. Um, this park is meant to be a crown jewel uh, of our neighborhood parks, uh, so making sure that there's a budget and a plan for operation has very much been in the CBD sites for years. Um, and we have a dedicated and small army of neighbors who've been trying for decades. Uh, to get folks to recognize this as a neighborhood and to make sure that we have all of the basic amenities, you know, like grocery stores, green space that one would expect in a neighborhood as far as need and want. Um, you know, a very short story, there was a rumor going around uh, late last week that this might be delayed uh, or approvals might be delayed by the time of Tuesday's CAC TJPA uh, meeting. There were over 100 letters from neighbors that had been sent in support of the park and folks who even showed up in person. Um, given that we're, you know, a very high-density neighborhood uh, with over 30% affordable housing, like we want it, we need it, we're on it, and I would just ask that you please move this forward. Thank you. Thank you, caller. Do we have any other members of the public? Okay. okay. No other members of the public. Thank you. Oh. Item for action, directors, your preference. Vice Chair Mandelman made the motion. Second. Thank you, Director Tumblin. Right, with the first and the second, Director Forbes. Aye. Forbes, aye. Director Galley. Aye. Galley, aye. Director John Baptiste. Aye. John Baptiste, aye. Director McCauley. Aye. McCauley, aye. Director Tumlin. Aye. Tumlin, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. And Chair G. Yes. The ayes well. Item 13 is approved.
Great. Thank you. All right. On to item 14. All right. Item 14 is election of chair and vice chair pursuant to the TJPA joint powers agreement and directors. I'm looking for a nomination for chair. I will uh, nominate uh, Jeff G for uh, another term as uh, as chair, and um, I, I think uh, he has served through um, uh, both a challenging and um, uh, I don't know hopeful time for the TJPA. Um, he uh, started, I think, in 2020 um, as acting chair, maybe, or at least in 2021. Um, and, uh, you know, in, in the middle, midst of pandemic, as we addressed some of the challenges with phase one, um, but has worked on getting us um, a permanent executive director um, on setting up the regional collaboration. And I think he is uniquely suited to uh, ensure that this continues as a regional project. Um, and I think uh, uh, has uh, seen a lot of exciting and as I said, hopeful developments for this project as we move forward uh, through what may be, um, you know, well, I, probably what are the two most important, you know, at least this this year and next year being among the most important for this for this project. So happy to nominate uh, Chair G for another term as chair. Thank you for the kind words, Vice Chair. All right. Do we have a second on the nomination? Enthusiastic second. Okay. All right. With a, and then do we have any others? Any other nominations? Seeing none. And uh, uh, Chair G, do you accept the nomination? Uh, Moving on. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm honored, and thank you. Um, I'm very hopeful. Um, I mean, it's great to be able to move this project, the next project, into engineering and hopefully into a full funding grant agreement and really break ground and get this thing done, you know, started and finished in terms of construction. So okay. I don't think I'll be serving that long until we <laughs> finish construction, but. Um, you never really know. <laughs> I know. But it's, it's great to be able to get to this point and looking forward to the full funding grant agreement and having our executive director sign receipt of those funds from, this, from the federal government. All right. All right, with that, I'll motion to elect uh, Director G as chair. Um, uh, Director Forbes. Yes. Ah, uh, yes. Do we have members in the room from the public that want to comment? No. Do we have members online? Yes, we do. Please let the caller in. Thank you. Um, first of all, I would like to echo um, Chair Mandelman's um, kind comment and, and uh, congratulate Chair G on his uh, re-election. But in closing, I'd like to bring to your attention that the issue I'm experiencing with feedback is not just me. I had the exact same problem when the last um, member of the public spoke. And if somebody could look into it, that would be greatly appreciated. Thank you. Thank you, Caller. Are there any other? Okay. All right. With that, I'll go ahead and take a roll call vote uh, with uh, Director G as chair. Oh, someone just raised their hand. Okay, let's let them in. Hi, this is Jim Patrick with Patrick and Company. Uh, we are getting the feedback, but I want to say Chair G's done a great job and I support his effort. Thank you for your service. 
for the callers if they are getting a feedback, if their um, video is live while they're calling in, that could possibly be it. All right, are there any other members of the public that wish to comment? Support? All right, we do have first and second. We are now gonna call a roll call vote on Director G as chair. It's gonna happen. Um, Director Forbes. Aye. Forbes, aye. Director Galley. Aye. Galley, aye. Director John Baptiste. Aye. John Baptiste, aye. Director McCauley. Aye. McCauley, aye. Director Tumlin. Aye. Tumlin, aye. Vice Chair Mandelman. Aye. Mandelman, aye. And Chair G, you yeah. must. <laughs> Colleagues, thank you. It's an honor to continue to serve. I appreciate your support and your enthusiasm. And I appreciate the collaboration across the region because this is a regional project and a regional effort. So. All right. Thank you. With that, uh, the uh, motion to elect Director G as chair, re-elect Director G as chair, has passed. Uh, we will now take nominations uh, for vice chair. I'd like to nominate Director Mandelman to continue to serve as vice chair. I mean, what I just said recently, it's a collaboration. This is a team effort. It's a huge team effort. Um, and the partnership, the importance of San Francisco is paramount, but it's not a San Francisco project by itself. This is a regional game-changing project to open up transportation, public transit across the region. But the partnership and the importance in San Francisco can't be understated. And so it's a great team effort, and I enjoy the collaboration with Director Mandelman, and particularly serving as vice chair. All right. Nomination. All right. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take that as his acceptance. Do we have a second? <laughs> a second. All right. Uh, first, a motion and a second. And are there any other nominations? Seeing none. Are you... Well, hoping I'm, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> no other nominations. Uh, checking for public comment in the room. Seeing none online, we have one member online. Uh, yes, one member online. Please get them in. Thank you for your comment, uh, Chair G. Um, but I would like to remind the board that if we start planning right now on how we're going to be connecting the SFTC to the East Bay, we will raise this project not just to the regional, not to the California but to the national level. Thank you. All right, thank you, caller. Any other callers? Okay. There are no other members of the public wishing to comment. We have a uh, nomination and a second, and no other, um, I'll go ahead and call the roll call vote. Please. All right, with that, Director Forbes? Aye. Um, Forbes, aye. Uh, Director Galley? Aye. Galley, aye. Director John Baptiste? Aye. John Baptiste, aye. Director McCauley? Aye. McCauley, aye. Director Tumlin? Aye. Tumlin, aye. Director Mandelman? Aye. Mandelman, aye. And Chair G? Yes. All right. Uh, with that, the motion to elect uh, Director Mandelman as Vice Chair uh, has passed. Thank you both. I believe that concludes our business for the day. Right. So, colleagues, thank you for your time today. Um, well, well done, and uh, we will see you next month. Meeting adjourned. Thank you.